Welcome to Equipping the Persecuted Radio. Equipping the Persecuted Radio is sponsored by Equipping the Persecuted. And Equipping the Persecuted is a true boots-on-the-ground ministry in Nigeria. In fact, they've recently just built a, or are in the process of building, an orphanage for children whose parents have been martyred by Muslims. And it is just a a, a ministry that, that's also gone out and just recently finished building a school uh, for children uh, that have been displaced from, once again, Muslim attacks in Nigeria. And it is a worthwhile ministry to check out and to support. Please go to equippingthepersecuted.org. Once again, that's equippingthepersecuted.org. You can see what all they've got going on there. Please go and donate. In today's show, we're going to be talking about abolitionism and specifically probably getting into some abolitionism versus pro-life. What is the difference and why Jesus Christ calls you to be an abolitionist and not just merely pro-life. But we want to hear from you. So please email us at equippingthepersecuted at gmail.com, equippingthepersecuted at gmail.com, and let us know what do you think about the abolitionism pro-life divide and tell us what do you think? Does Jesus call us to be an abolitionist or just merely pro-life? Well, today, to get into this discussion, we've got Russell Hunter, and Russell Hunter is an abolitionist. He's an abolitionist educator, an agitator, and a legislative lobbyist. He is the director of communications for Free the States, a a state sovereignty organization whose mission is to free as many states as possible from their participation in the American abortion holocaust. In 2012, he helped reignite the abolitionist movement in America, directing the same ideological impulse that put the sin of chattel slavery on trial before the antebellum American public towards the sin of human abortion. His wife, Catherine, and his children reside in Norman, Oklahoma. And one thing I absolutely love about Russell Hunter is that the devil knows this man's name. There's no doubt about that. The devil knows his name down in in Oklahoma, and he is one who is standing out for the preborn, giving a voice to the preborn. Russell, how are you doing today? I'm great. Uh, That was a a very good intro. I was like, oh, this, this sounds like a good guest. I hope... Hope I can do a good job for you today. Oh, uh, you, you you'll do great. I'm excited to have you here. Um, I I don't remember who you were debating, uh, but I remember watching one of your debates on uh, abolitionism versus pro life. It might be the only one because uh, most of the time people don't want to debate you uh, or or anybody or any abolitionist for that matter. Uh, but I remember you really making the case and giving a lot of the history of William Wil- uh, William Wilberforce. Uh, specifically, and of course, the abolitionism of slavery. But, but can you tell us what is abolitionism in today's context? Because we know it's not in context of slavery; it's in context of uh, of the preborn. But, but what is abolitionism? Yeah, so I think abolitionism, at it, its basic, simple level, is just like this impulse to remove evils in a culture. Um, sort of this uh, desire to correct oppression, establish justice, equality for all people. So when Christians in particular live in cultures where sort of grave, dehumanizing, destructive evils are occurring and covered by laws, like these are evil acts that are being done by permission of the state, by permission of the governing authorities, Abolitionists are people who say, hey, we're not going to go with the multitude to just allow this evil. We're going to do everything we can to try to remove it from our culture. 
And um, abolitionist, of course, like that word abolished is pretty clear. We're trying to abolish a thing. But generally speaking, throughout history, and if you study the abolitionists of slavery and the abolitionists of abortion, we're just people who are trying to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into like direct conflict with a specific evil in order to see that evil sort of repented of. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot there, but uh, that's the the kernel of what abolitionists are all about. Yeah, and, and I really love how you describe that, that you're trying to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into conflict, because one thing, uh, I, I've noticed one thing I've preached, is, and that is no one has ever been saved without a conflict with the cross, uh, without a confrontation right. of the cross. Nobody's ever been saved, and it is a confrontation. It is a conflict. It is in your face. It is to tell you you've sinned and done wrong, and you need to repent. Uh, that's yeah. that's ultimately what the gospel does. Um, but when we so when we think about abolitionism, are, are are you trying to say that it would be best to abolish abortion and not merely regulate abortion? Yeah. So whenever you start applying abolitionism legislatively. And you look at kind of like what pro-lifers have been doing for the past 50 years, they have been seeking to regulate abortion, passing laws like who can perform them, perform them, where, when, and why, and all these regulations of like how you murder children in, in America. Um, abolitionists are like, no, we don't regulate murder, we abolish murder. And we want the laws that are protecting born people to be applied to pre-born people. And so it really is very clear, like the distinction between an abolitionist and a pro-lifer, you know, traditionally an establishment type pro-lifer is like you just that what you said, regulation versus abolition, um, continuation with some kind of desire to curtail it or reduce reduce abortion numbers versus the establishment of justice. Um, so probably nowhere is it more clear uh, the difference between a pro-lifer and abolitionist than it is with our legislation. But of course, like even given while abortion's legal and it's going on, you can look at like what an abolitionist does outside of an abortion mill versus like what a pro-lifer does. Like there's a there's a there's a sense in which the abolitionist is calling for a repentance from what's being done to turn from an action and go do another action and trust in God instead of your fear or yourself or anything like that. So the differences do go from the clinic and like high schools and cultural engagement all the way to uh, legislation. But it's like our culture, pro-life, pro-choice, everything has accepted the idea that this is a choice. Some people say choose life. Other people say choose yourself, choose abortion. Mm -hmm. Abolitionists, we say, there isn't a choice. Like, that's the problem. There should not be a choice. Like, this is murder, and we prohibit murder. These are image bearers, and you forfeit your own life when you shed the blood of an innocent bearer. And so abolitionists, we embrace that. And, uh, you know, from an internet conversation to a conversation at the Capitol, abortion's murder. It should be treated as murder, not regulated as health care. Absolutely. And I, I recall one time, I, for full disclosure for everyone who's listening here, I would definitely put myself in the abolitionist camp as well. And um, I, I remember one time going out in, in front of a, a Planned Parenthood, an abortion mill, and uh, there, there we are, and there's, there's the pro-lifers uh, next to me. And I, you know, they're, they're, they're nice people, and most people who are out there, I would say, are very well-intended, and they do want uh, abortion to be abolished, most of the people that are out there. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that in just a, a little bit. 
uh, where they where they need to take that next step. But I'll never forget the the, the abor- abortion workers. So the murderers are literally leaving uh, the the parking lot, and there I am literally at the at the moment saying repent, and I'm praying. Uh, that that their life is miserable until they repent. Just got done making that prayer, and the pro-lifer looks at them and waves at them and says, "Have a nice day." And I'm going, yeah. I, I hope they don't have a nice day. I hope their wheels fall off their car and they can't come to work tomorrow. You know, I hope they have a debilitating headache until they repent so that they can't work. Um, <laughs> but I'll just never forget kind of that divide. Uh, but we do need to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about a little bit of this this divide and 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 really where is the the difference between abolitionism and pro life. So stay with us. We'll be right back. There is a crisis happening in Nigeria. Christians are being murdered and driven from their homes at the hands of Muslim terrorists. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Equipping the Persecuted is a mission organization that helps persecuted Christians in Nigeria by sending aid directly to persecuted Christians in need. When a Christian village is attacked, Equipping the Persecuted is there to respond with food, medical aid, and materials to rebuild their churches and communities. Equipping the Persecuted has boots on the ground ready to respond to an emergency. Within 48 hours of an attack, our team is there to help those in need. Prayerfully consider a monthly donation to help impact and save the lives of persecuted Christians. Equipping the Persecuted doesn't just raise awareness about persecution or just talk about it. They take action. Visit EquippingThePersecuted.org and donate today. God's Word tells us that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Truly, sin is a mark of America today. Every second, 28,000 people are watching pornography. Since 1973, over 65 million babies have been slaughtered on the altar of convenience through abortion, and 70% of millennials are likely to vote for a socialist. Sin truly abounds and is a reproach to our nation. But how do we get back on track and be exalted by God once again? Hi, I'm Pastor Sam Jones, and I've written a new book that traces the steps of America's fall and gives us a road to redemption. It's called Five Steps to Kill a Nation and How to Stop the Bleeding. You can get a copy of the book at theshininglightministries.com. Welcome back to Equipping the Persecuted Radio. I'm your host, Pastor Sam. And in today's show, we do have a special guest, Russell Hunter. He is an abolitionist, and we're talking about the differences between abolitionism and also pro-lifeism. But I do want to go and tell you to check out his website at freethestates.org. Once again, that's freethestates.org. Check that out. All kinds of great resources there. And you can find out all about abolitionism and why you should be for abolishing abortion and not merely regulating it. Uh, But Russell, uh, tell us a little bit about this here. What are the main differences? If somebody comes out and they say, you know, I'm pro-life and and I want uh, a abortion to be abolished, uh, why should I be an abolitionist now? What's the difference? Why should I I 
take that step. Yeah. Well, the reason that we even draw a line of distinction between those two groups has to be said from the beginning. It's not for some kind of like tribalistic, like our group versus your group. Let's do something different. We're actually saying we're not saying we're drawing this line. We're saying this line is already out there. Like there, there really is, uh, you know, the are there has been the persistence of sort of two impulses of dealing with abortion over at least the past decade. And so like at a at a state capital, you'll have a bill of abolition, the abolitionist bill, and then you'll have all these pro-life bills. And people will say, well, why should I support this one over that one? Say, well, okay, the abolition bill calls abortion murder, says it should be criminalized, and it says it should be done within this state in accordance with our laws and enforced, regardless of what like the Supreme Court has ruled, federal government has has said, you know, we're going to obey God, not Joe Biden. We're going to go. We're going to obey the word of God, not the decrees of the Supreme Court. A pro-life bill, and I and I do want to say this on behalf of you know our pro-life brothers and sisters, they they probably have the right motivations in everything they're doing, but they kind of have bought into the idea that they're not allowed to abolish abortion. Mm-hmm. What they're allowed to do is is kind of reduce it maybe or regulate it. And so you'll hear them saying things like make it safer for women or make it uh, cleaner or, you know, in pursuit of making it more rare, make sure that abortions all have to happen before 20 weeks or 12 weeks or six weeks or whatever it is. Um, But whenever you just say, okay, why should I do one over the other? Why not do both is generally where people are going right now. Well, I don't do both. Well, no one really does that. And if you think about it this way, there's a bill to abolish abortion and a bill to regulate abortion um, up to 12 weeks or whatever. The legislators, when they get together to support those bills, they usually support one over the other. And if you look at the bills themselves, this one says you're allowed to abort a baby up to 12 weeks. And this one says you're not allowed to. You can't pass both. Right. They're, they're mutually exclusive. Or if you have a candidate who's running to abolish abortion, running against a pro-lifer who's just running and saying they're pro-life and they're going to do everything they can to save as many babies they can, you can't vote for both candidates. You really do have to choose one or the other. And a lot of these pro-life bills and candidates and actions and campaigns are usually being done as substitutes for abolition. Like instead of, Mm -hmm. say, all of the people of God unifying together to call for the establishment of justice for the preborn, we weaken ourselves out and we call for waiting periods, uh, hallway regulations, you know, uh, that's ambulances and all this kind of stuff, different regulations of abortion. Um, and whenever we do that instead of abolition, um, you know, that's clearly uh, counter what we ought to do. And, and whenever we say something like we're going to do both, we're being quite hypocritical and inconsistent. You can't say abortions murder and abortion should be regulated. We don't regulate murder. Like that's crazy. So any treatment of abortion that doesn't treat it as murder um, is something that we would say don't do. And finally, I know it's a long answer. Finally, and this is like the key thing for Christians is never support any bill or activity that God would not do. That God would himself not do, would not support, 
and has never in any place in his word commanded you to do that. So whenever a, a pro-life bill is put before you and says, yes, this bill, this does say you can abort babies conceived in rape, and it does say you can abort babies up to 12 weeks, that's showing partiality. And God says, never show partiality. Mm-hmm. So you can't say that as a Christian. Or another example would be if there's a, a bill that says, well, we're going to not show partiality. We're going to have life from conception um, and say no abortion. But mothers and others who get abortions after this bill will not be punished. Well, God says you should never acquit the guilty. Right. He hates it when we acquit the guilty. So there's all these different things. And I think at root is the abolitionist is trying to do first and foremost, what God has told him to do, because we believe that doing what God says is not just what we are commanded to do in Scripture, but is actually best, will actually save more lives. The pro-lifer, and I know they're probably being offended if they hear this, isn't saying, what would God do? What would God have me do? What What is God going to get behind? They're saying, what do I think will save more babies? And they find themselves doing all sorts of stuff that God has told them directly. Like, sometimes I hate it when you do this. Like, woe yeah. to you, you decree iniquity when you show favor for one human over another. Woe to you. Like, this is serious stuff from God. Pro-lifers don't seem to be concerned about that. Um, so the abolitionist is 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 concerned not just to be holy. We're not pietists. We're not like, oh, let's, I just want to feel holy. She's like, I want this to work. Mm-hmm. And why would I think that something that God told me not to do or something that he hates is going to work? And obviously, here in the 50th year of the abortion holocaust, all that worldly wisdom and pragmatism of what's going to work has proven itself to be a, a, an utter failure. You, you, you seem to be saying that God actually does, in fact, know better than we do. I mean, that, that seems yeah, to be what you're saying. Like, but I think it's because I am saying that. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, it, it, and I laugh, and, I, and maybe I shouldn't even laugh, you know, uh, but so many people don't realize that God does know better than them, and he knows better than the uh, the experts. You know, I, I've had so many people say, hey, you should just call up these these experts, you know, these 30 pro-life groups in Iowa. And, and you know, what really ultimately moved me from being pro-life to an abolitionist was we did a heartbeat bill here. And I came out and my ethic was, you know, life is starts at conception, but this is great, a heartbeat bill. Although I, I got confronted, how in the world are you ever going to move it from a heartbeat to conception? How are you going to ever move that? And I was like, I don't know the answer to it. And then mm-hmm. after it passed, the governor signed it. The Supreme Court, which isn't their job, strikes it down in Iowa. And then the governor doesn't even challenge it, not at the Supreme Court level, not even at the lower courts level. And everybody's saying, oh, this was the smart thing to do. And we actually, since we passed the uh, Harpy bill, uh, abortion is more readily available today than when it was when we passed that. And so pragmatically speaking, which is always the argument against abolitionism, I always come, if you want to just be purely pragmatic, which I, I don't, I, I think that's a terrible ethic. But if you do, uh, the pragmatism has to start with, let's draw the line as far to our way as possible and then compromise as opposed to, and like I said, that's not a good ethic, but I'm going, if that's the ethic you choose to take, that's the, that's the way to look at it as opposed to, uh, let's compromise from where they start drawing the line. 
Now, yeah. the, the right ethic so, is to do what God says. <laughs> That's the right ethic. Yeah, it's but, to do what God says. And I think that a lot of, I mean, uh, you know, elephant in the room maybe, but just just full disclosure, a lot of pro-life leaders have a major issue with abolitionists. And they have a major issue with me because they think that what we're saying is you guys are, um, you know, not good like us. We're good and you're bad. And, and it's you're, you're not Christian, we're Christian, all this kind of stuff. But what we're really saying is like, let's think biblically, let's act biblically, and let's do what the Lord would tell us to do, and only ever that, and let's see how that works. It's, 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 if they want to think about it pragmatically, like say we can't dislodge them from their pragmatic mindset. Right. Uh, well, <laughs> well, then give this a shot. I mean, obviously your pragmatic mindset needs to be just, you know— challenged here because you've got you've got 65 70 million babies murdered in the midst of a hundred million pro-lifers you know it's like uh how it how is this it's because they've always been doing something other than what god would have them do um also i think that there is a certain amount of contradiction that flows from the governing authorities down to the people the laws are a tutor um governing authorities do sort of like inform the culture of what they can and can't do. So it is not at all surprising whenever a state passes a heartbeat bill, even when that heartbeat bill gets shut down, um, you see that abortions rise. Well, it's because everyone in that city or that state or that country has been told this really isn't murder, but we would want you to do it earlier. Like right. we want you to do it before a beating heart. We want you to do it before the, the a feeling of pain. And I love what you said about like, well, someone challenged you like, well, how are you going to move from a heartbeat to conception? Because like you make all these arguments like, a, you know, a baby has a detectable heartbeat at six weeks and that and, you know, abortion stops a beating heart. So therefore it should be criminalized. Well, and, and you want to move beyond that. Say you, you want to next session go to conception. Those Democrats or those liberals or the people that you convinced or whatever with the heartbeat thing are going to be like, wait, wait a second. You said life begins at a heartbeat and now you're switching it. Are you lying? Right. Um, and and they and they will actually say that like they will say, well, let's be smash mouth about this. Let's get 20 weeks and then let's go back for 12 and then let's go back for six and then let's go for conception, but not, you know, abortifacient drugs like. It's like, but you, all your arguments are always abortion is bad because it causes pain. And the culture is going to be like, well, then get it before it's pain or right. give them anesthesia. Abortion is bad because it stops a beating heart. OK, well, then do it quicker. Right. We live, you know, six weeks before we have beating, you know, before blood needs to be sent to our, our developing organs. So there's a lot of inconsistency and self-refutation that comes with passing these pragmatic pro-life bills it, it well and, and i love that what you're saying about the the whole smash mouth pro-lifeism which has kind of uh, been a new thing coming out of idaho i believe uh has really been promoted out, out there and yeah I, I just kind of laugh at that because i'm going well yeah i remember reading in david versus goliath that he went out and he first you know uh, beat up da uh, Goliath's leg, and then he went and he, you know, uh, broke his arm, and then he mm -hmm. went and he, uh, you, you know, broke his other arm, and then he, he, you know, beat him up with a bunch of body shots, and then he finally cut his head off. Uh, but no, that's not what right. we find. You know, he, he sent a rock out uh, and killed him, and then cut his head off. And um, I mean, that's and that's what we're called to do. <laughs> 
Yeah, and 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 that one you can see it. There's a million different stories like that you can see, but like there's an explicit incrementalism versus immediatism debate in scripture. Like there's a it's like it it goes like 12 chapters in the book of Exodus where it's literally Moses um has been tasked with standing before the king of Egypt and demanding the you know the freedom yep. of the people and and he goes in saying let my people go and Pharaoh consistently says well no but then eventually starts saying like how about if I let like the men go for like three days and only a certain amount well the smash mouth incrementalist person is supposed to be like Moses ought to have said okay we're getting somewhere so we're going to go three days we're going to worship God in the in the wilderness and then we're going to come back and then we'll go before Pharaoh and then he'll offer us we're allowed to take our women but we have to leave our children and then we'll go and we can take our women and our children and then we'll go and we can take our women and our children and our animals and then we'll finally go like Pharaoh always offered these things to Moses and uh Moses would you know kind of go back and you know stand on what God says and then go back to him over and over and over again and by the end of that exchange between Pharaoh and Moses God has displayed his power and and Moses has actually displayed his obedience um and the people like leave Egypt and it's like the glory of God is declared like it is yep. it is clear what has happened um it wasn't like mo- the people left Egypt because of um Moses great strategy yeah. yeah we didn't we didn't come up with a step-by-step incremental way of leaving Egypt but someone someone really and, and I know I'm kind of mean sometimes when I say this but like people can be really ignorant with these things and they can say things like well but it took a certain amount of period time like there was this kind of plague and this kind of plague and this kind of engagement and it took time so isn't that incrementalism it's like no 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 that's not that's not incrementalism Moses was going to be an immediate abolitionist of Hebrew bondage until they were free. And he always called for freedom. Right. Um, So yeah, there are just explicit passages like that in the word of God. And of course the law of God is very clear. Absolutely. Um, And it's astounding. You mentioned out of Idaho. I mean, that is coming from guys who believe the word of God and love the Mm -hmm. law of God. But they just think that when dealing with Kings in, in man's world, compromising the best that you can get is the way to go. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that how they've been there, but you know, we pray for them and we try to engage them as much as possible. Yeah, it, 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 and to be clear, I don't mind calling out the name Doug Wilson either. I, I I realized I didn't say that when I said that. I should let our listeners know who we're talking about. But um, real quick, because we have just a, about a minute left, tell people what they can do and what they need to do in order to engage in abolitionism. In a minute, yeah, people. <laughs> In a minute. People really, first and foremost, need to be uh, completely non-silent on this. You need to let people know that you are an abolitionist of abortion, not a regulationist. That pro-life is a moral opinion that says what you would do in the situation or what you prefer. You need to go beyond that and say, I think we ought to abolish abortion, criminalize it, treat it as murder. Now, to that end, yes, you need to be praying and you need to be you know, speaking with people and that kind of stuff. But you need to move beyond that. You need to sign up with uh, local groups that do go to abortion mills. You need to figure out how to contact your representatives, your senators, how to put the right political pressure to be the we the people 
that actually demand the governing authorities do what they ought to do. And the best way to do that is to get in contact with people who've done it and are doing it. Um, you know, in Oklahoma, we've kind of got a leg up because we've got legislative lobbying organizations, pastor organizations, people who will come into churches and train teams to, to, to involve. But if, say, you're in a state where it's not like that, there's tons of material online. And really, you need to, like, commit yourself to engaging in it, uh, learning, and going and doing. And stop assuming that somebody somewhere else is doing this because it's their special calling. That's right. That's, do not think it's a special calling. Loving your neighbors as yourself, doing for them what you would have done for you, and obeying Christ in keeping his commands and making disciples of nations that actually do follow God is the command of everybody. It's not a special calling. So Christians just need to really, what does it look like to be a Christian in a culture that kills its children? Find that answer in the Word of God and then put it into practice. Plug yourself into abolitionist groups and, and just get going and do not grow weary in doing good. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Russell, for coming on our show today. And once again, you can find uh, his website at freethestates.org. Once again, that's freethestates.org. But thank you, everyone, for listening to Equipping the Persecuted Radio. Remember, Equipping the Persecuted Radio is sponsored by Equipping the Persecuted. Please visit our website at equippingthepersecuted.org and email us at equippingthepersecuted at gmail.org, uh, or excuse me, at gmail.com. I'm Pastor Sam, and keep standing for the truth. 